You're listening to the Short Shift Podcast, proud member of the Black and Gold Podcast Network. You can support the show by leaving a comment and five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can contact the show via Twitter at ShortShiftPod. Cynically acclaimed, incredibly online. It's Boston Hockey Talk with your hosts, Thomas Nystrom and Andrew Johnson. Enjoy the show. Bruins fans, we don't want to necessarily have an I told you so moment. Yes, we do. Yeah. Obviously, we weren't the only ones preaching patience, preaching just a little bit of mental stability leading into this series coming off of starting 1-1-1. But we told you that 1-1-1 wasn't a bad thing, that the no even strength goals, even though it was disappointing, it wasn't going to be forever. It wasn't forever. And a big, big matchup, two games against Philadelphia, who we very well could be seeing right towards the end of the season with first place of the division on the line. We smoked them. Preach it. Preach it, brother. You know, when Stanika got to the front of the net and just potted that really dirty goal behind Carter Hart, made it 2-1 in the third period of that game, first game, I said, I knew, I thought in my head, they're winning this game. It took a little bit of a interesting path, but in the end, all they had to do was score one and the dam would burst. This team has scored 11 goals in its last four periods against a cup contending Philadelphia Flyers team. I think they just needed to get that one goal past them and then the media pressure, the fan pressure, etc. It was all off their shoulders, and that team came alive. And granted, that game was so back and forth. That was such a sloppy, messy game. But they came out on top. We got the result that we wanted. We another we won another fucking shootout. I I don't understand what's going on. The second, like before the season, when I said I hate shootouts, and I got in this discussion, I can't stand shootouts. It's not it to me. It's not the right way to explain who actually won a game. I honestly think that the Bruins were the better team in that first game. They played the better first period. I don't think there was any doubt about that, but we didn't get the tally. And then we slipped behind them on the score sheet, and then they fired right back in. So maybe the shootout actually worked out in our favor for once in that game because I think we were the better team, and we got the two points. 2-0 in the shootout. This is a, this is a weird time. This is... This has already been a weird season. A lot of we, a lot of very strange statistical anomalies. We're two and zero in the shootout, and uh, there's another one I want to point out. Actually, Nick Ritchie is a point per game player in the NHL. Correct. That first episode that we did two weeks ago, we were skeptical. I think more so you than I. Mm-hmm. However, so was Cassidy. Remember that quote? Yeah, and you know what? Maybe that lit a fire. Maybe that lit a fire. 
when I said two weeks I, ago, hopefully this is the last time, like maybe he, maybe he just does just enough where we won't talk about him on this fucking podcast for two months. He did more than enough. And we're talking about him two weeks later. It is positive. Nick Ritchie is absolutely contributing to this team. Uh, I believe uh, Haggerty put out something earlier today, just basically saying the media should all just be like, hey, sorry about that. Well, A, that's a little rich coming from Haggerty. Always. And B, <laughs> and B um, I, I, I read that article and the fact that not only was he saying that Bruins fans should apologize, issue a mea culpa for Nick Ritchie, he also took the time to take a shot at Danton Heinen, which was just so on brand. <laughs> it's, he, he loves hot takes as much as he loves hot pockets, my friend. And I try really hard not to listen to, or I try really hard not to read Haggerty sometimes because more often than not, I just get irritated with the way that he covers the team. Mm-hmm. Is he wrong in this situation? No. Like I think a lot of people should actually just say, okay, well, I was a little bit wrong about Richie and I think there's a good chance that he can be productive here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if you want to compare it to what Heinen's doing, that's, that's fair in the sense that, okay, that was the trade, but to take a shot at Heinen, a little bit unnecessary. I probably need to go back and read that article, but just hearing you say that, that would piss me off and it would just be another example of why I just don't fucking follow Haggerty. Well, the, the I'll, I'll give you the cliff note for it. He basically said that what Nick Ritchie is providing can't be, can't be tabulated through bar graphs and pie charts. And Denton Heinen is a, an analytical darling. So okay. it was a shot at Heinen and it was a shot at the, it was a shot at analytics. Cause we all, we all know that Haggerty loves the old school, you know, rough and tumble kind of hockey. And, you know, that's his right. But you can compliment Nick Ritchie without shitting on the other guy. To me, it's just he doesn't want to actually research shit. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. He doesn't want to research shit. He doesn't want to have to look at stat sheets. He wants to do the eyeball test, make hot takes, get the article out quicker. You know what? That's fine. Like, that's his prerogative. He's he's a professional. That's his role. Yeah. And that's why he's that's why he's been writing for the Bruins for over 20 years. He gets it yep. every Totally. And I, I have more power to him. He's he's not my favorite to read. Uh mm-hmm. I personally enjoy a number of other more, I guess we could say analytical, but maybe just new school, more informed. And the hot take artist shit is I think that's more us. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's more that's more something that we should bring you bring to the table. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's what the dump and change boys do mm-hmm. to a point. Sometimes I wouldn't even say Mark, Mark from BNG. He doesn't really do hot takes. He, Mark gives you like, Mark gives you as close to facts as he can. And Mark always has like the confidence behind it, but he doesn't just say shit to piss people off, get them right. riled up. Maybe, maybe that's that. yeah. what's that. I've gone into it with him before. I've gone into it with him before on, on, on the Twitters. So Mark he, or Hags? Hags. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's very thin skinned, which I, which is, <laughs> I don't want to make a comment, but <laughs> it seems, seems not to be that way, but that's okay. Yeah. No. yeah let's, <laughs> let's leave it there. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? And I, I, I said this too. I said this on, I said this on Twitter a couple days ago. I fully 
ready to apologize for the dismantling of Nick Ritchie that I partook in during the offseason. It's just five games, and you know what? Regression to the mean is probably going to happen. But in this case, I'm on team. Let's let people enjoy things for now. Yeah. I mean, we spent all last week arguing you can't base the game or the the season off of just a few games. So we can't base our opinion on Nick Ritchie just off these couple of games. But he's shown us more than a lot of people thought we were going to get out of him. People were ready to pull down his pants, fucking smack him back to Providence or wherever the fuck we needed to ship him out. All we can do is just sit back and watch and see what he can do. And look at that little bit of confidence behind the kid. And he's in on every play. You see him on the ice. And Mm -hmm. that is something that we didn't necessarily get for a few games last year towards the end of the year when, when people were starting to form those opinions. He got that one goal. People were excited about it. And then nothing. Now this year, he's in on every play. He's visible. He looks good. He's, he physically looks good. He's skating well. They put him on the top line. Mm-hmm. Like they're giving him true minutes. He's and been, that's the best been, vote of confidence you can give a kid. He's been very, he has been very, very noticeable because much like Trent Frederick on the lower lines, Nick Ritchie's, Nick Ritchie's role on the upper lines isn't, to, isn't necessarily to score. The scoring is a fringe benefit. What he's doing is he is clearing space. He's clearing the crease. He's driving the net, he's engaging defenders, and leaving the more lethal ones to do their business. Yep. And in that regard, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Nick Ritchie so far. It will, it'll cool off, and we know that, and you know he's not going to score 56 points or whatever. If, if he does, I don't know, I'll donate, I'll, I'll do cuts for a cause or something. But... <laughs> but it's been really enjoyable, and I, in this case, I love being wrong for the time being. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might be a good opportunity. What do you think he's going to end up with? Where do, you, where do you see him as far as a, a goal producer for this team? Keeping in mind that it's a shortened season and everything, so what is a number that we should be looking at as Bruins fans? What's a number that we should be looking at as something that he's capable of and, and maybe a target? 15 goals, 10 assists. I think I think that's fair. I was I was around 15 20. I think I think that's I think that is absolutely reasonable. And especially if when everybody comes back, if he's if Cassidy keeps him in that net front, we could see a little more. We could see a little more in that regard. So, you know, we'll just we'll have to see. Um, but as we said last week. Bobby Ryan ain't scoring, ain't scoring fifty goals. Mm-hmm. Nick Ritchie ain't having fifty points. But if he continues, the, if he can build off of how he has played so far, I will, I will firmly admit that I was absolutely, I was absolutely wrong about him, and that he, found, he that he found his role. He found his role on this team, and I think he, I think he's still in the process of finding it. But he's a lot closer now than he was in the bubble or in training camp. Absolutely. All right. So Andrew, another thing in the offseason that was getting a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of chatter, the questions about defense. Defense is looking pretty good right now, man. How are you feeling about Lazan and Zaboro right now? I am a huge fan in how Zaboro has played these first five games. And I gotta tell you, so is Bruce Cassidy. He has put Zaboral on the power play, which is thrilling me 
and he's giving Zaboro minutes on three on three overtimes. He has been very good in admittedly sheltered minutes next to Kevin Miller, but he has he's proven he's so far first again small sample size alert. But in the first five games, he has definitely not looked out of place as an NHL defenseman. Lazon, man, the benefits of having Charlie McAvoy in your in, on your pair. Yeah. Like McAvoy being allowed to basically just dart all over the ice has given has given Lazon the opportunity to settle in to a type of play where it is where that is a huge strength of his and that's staying at home and in these first five games uh th- this is gonna this is gonna this is gonna get me piled on a little bit he has looked better next to McAvoy than Chara has in the last couple of years and the minutes that he's been getting he played um 23 minutes in the first game against Philly and he played 19 minutes in the second game. He's getting more response. He's getting more stay-at-home responsibilities. And he's done very, very well. And so far, it looks like maybe the front office knew what they were talking about when they put the faith in some of these younger guys on the back end. For me, I, I didn't question the skill set of these guys. One thing that I was looking for going into the series with Philadelphia was how they were going to match up from a physical standpoint against a larger, heavier team. Mm-hmm. And that first game was a little brutal. It was obviously a lot of scoring. Towards the end of that game, it was kind of a shit show. Defense was starting to go a little bit out the window, but it was very, very physical. Boston realized that they had the speed over them, and maybe that was part of it, but it really stood out to me in the second game of the series they were just out physically in Philadelphia pretty much right from the start. Obviously, towards the end of that game, they started piling it on, piling it on. Philadelphia got tired. That's that's one thing that's really good about this team, uh, is, especially when it comes to the youth on the defense. They're getting back quicker, not relying on 10-foot wingspan plus a 6-foot stick in the hands of Chara to try to cut off lanes. Like They're getting out there. They're doing it with their legs. They're pushing bodies. They just... They had more endurance than Philadelphia, and Philly's defensive age and defensive prowess is, was kind of a little bit exposed. And I honestly didn't see them sweeping the series. I thought it was going to be a physical one win, one loss set, and we were going to see them again in a week and a half. Uh, that was the only thing that really stood out to me with the defense for what I was looking for. That's a really good point, Thomas. And it's, I think those first couple of games, um, with the benefit in air quotes of no preseason that made it. So a lot of these players who have been playing with Chara for years upon years had to adjust to the way, adjust to the way that they were playing. And, and like you said, didn't have to rely what wasn't relying on a, you know, six foot nine Slovakian Slovakian giant with a 10 foot stick or however you put it. Yeah. <laughs> and you can really see these these players, these guys on the back end, and to a lesser extent, guys like Carlo, who have been here for a while, are you know taking on more of the the big cre- crease clearing uh, roles. Yeah, they don't have Krug. Yeah, they don't have Chara. 
but what they do have, they have ultimately they have more, they're they're not as crisp moving the puck from the back end as they were with Krug, but they are more physical. They are this is this is this is the this is by and large the quickest I've seen the Bruins defense looking about three or four years. It's crazy to me. Lozan and Zaboro are just reaping the benefits from it. And Cassidy is giving Lazan more responsibility and giving Zaboro more responsibility and they're running with it, which is what you love to see. And I think the I I, I think is a the Zaboro the Zaboro Miller pairing has been great. Carlo, like you said, is is stepping up into into that big, the big, tough, intimidating, intimidating presence. And if you that clapper he uncorked yeah. to tie the game, holy! Oh, not to tie the game, to give a four three lead. That gave me that that gave me some feelings, man. <laughs> when he's willing to unload, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that he could put the puck on the net and with some fucking strength behind it, man. Like. He's a big kid. He just has to get a little bit he, more I think he's like comfortable six, letting five. it go. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been nice to see. Oddly enough, I I um I wanted to see how the goaltending has done how the goaltending has done. Usually you would see um for lower for lower scoring like for lower scoring lower event teams like the Bruins, maybe higher save percentages. Mm-hmm. Tuka Rask has a save percentage of under 900. Right now, it is 892. Wow. I would have never guessed that. And it shows to me this team is suppressing shots at an at, at a blistering clip right now. So coming off the Philadelphia series, we're stepping right into the Pittsburgh series. Mm-hmm. Definitely a different offensive structure and also less scary when it comes to the goaltending production that they're getting right now. What are you? Uh, what are you going to be on the lookout for in this series against Pittsburgh? Tristan Jerry to let in four, at least a four goal game, <laughs> which which I'm completely fine with because he will be benched on my fantasy team going forward until he shows that he can do just something. Like he's he got lit up. There was one day I think my fantasy points were like minus eleven from him, and he has not seen from just off him. from just him. I think he gave oh up four or five God. goals. And just he hasn't looked right. And I watched the game for them against the Rangers the other day, and they he just doesn't look right. The team doesn't look right. He's not getting help from the defensive front, honestly. But they they're not the scary Penguins that they once were. They can still obviously light up a scoreboard. I, I'm a little more reticent to write off the Penguins because of the Crosby Malkin stuff. But I'm taking a quick little perusal. Tristan Jari has a 4.28 goals against average with an 849 save percentage. Boot him off your team now. Yeah. The thing is, like in fantasy hockey, it's like if you have a starter, you you kind of just have to bury him. Like mm-hmm. I have I have Bishop uh, on my IR just because I need another starter. So it's it's just one of those things. And on, honestly, like I don't take the fantasy hockey too serious, but it is fun to fun to do just because you do tend to start keeping track of stats of players that you're not watching every night. So that's, that's the yeah, interesting for sure. thing for me, but, but man, I was expecting a lot more out of them because since that one good year for Murray, their, their netminders have been kind of a shit show and it's not 
disappointing to watch by any means because obviously watching Pittsburgh is is kind of like watching the Yankees sometimes where it's just like you don't want to see them fucking succeed because of who's on the team. And not to say that Sidney Crosby's a bad human being, but man, it's fun to root against him sometimes. And that's league wide. It's it really is. I would I would say that he's probably one of the more hated just because of his success. Like well his reputation also preceded him. He was a whiny little bitch for like his first few years. He thankfully stopped that. But yeah, it's 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 a lot easier to root against the hero, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. Um, it's fun. It can be fun. It can be very fun. I know Pittsburgh's four and two right now. They're being cropped up by a very by a very a, still a very formidable Ford core. You know, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, uh, Jared McCann has had a good start to the season. Um, let's not talk about Malkin's start because he's been starting very slow and he he's been the recipient of some ire from Penn's fans. And I, I actually kind of want to ask, ask our guest about that when he comes on. Well, actually that's a good time to bring him in. Let's go ahead and uh, bring in Nick Horwat from tip of the iceberg podcast covering the Pittsburgh Penguins. Nick, how you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. Second time we tried this, but Hey, things happen in 2020, but it's 2021 now. So that's but right. Hey, we're here. We're doing we're better. And, uh, it's an excuse anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Exactly. We can't. And we got it. I'd never use it as an excuse until about November and December. So I was late to the late to that, but either way we're here and we're, we're doing things perfectly fine. Everything's going great. And just like the penguin season, it's turning around at some point, right? There you go. I got to ask you, man, right off the bat. All right. Well, selfishly, I have Tristan Jari on my fantasy team, and he's fucking killing me. Yep. I feel um, that. I did the same thing with my, with one of my leagues. Yeah. Uh, and I watched him the other night against the uh, the Rangers because I get MSG where I live in Connecticut, and he just looked out of sync. What's going on with the goaltending in Pittsburgh right now? Um, I think for Jari, it's just the first time that he is the – absolute number one and goaltending as I'm sure we all know is voodoo and it's just hard to understand and hard to predict I mean we all think Carter Hart's going to be one of the greatest in the league in a couple years or so but yet he went up and blew up against it was against Boston correct so it's uh, goaltending is voodoo but this is the first time that Jari is um, alone by himself as the number one guy he hasn't had Murray to you know, have someone to fall back on if he starts falling apart or um, Murray's not, it's Murray's not around anymore. He wasn't around for the flurry days where Murray had always had someone to fall back on. Whenever Murray was by himself as the number one, he had his issues for a little bit too, but maybe not as obvious to this extent that, you know, the first two games, just two whitewashes of performances, they were terrible. But since then he's bounced back, I mean, we're still giving up three goals a game, at least it seems, mm. but that's something that is at least getting a little better and, you know, and keep something to keep an eye on to turn around. But uh, for now, the goaltending, it's just all about Jari shaking off the rust, getting used to being the number one and working with Mike Buckley, the goaltending coach, and just improving his game and confidence, which shouldn't be an issue really going forward. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think Murray's having a, a little bit of a tough t- time starting this year as well. Murray, Murray just got shelled by Vancouver. I believe it was seven to one last night. Yeah, seven one, and they didn't pull him at all. They kept him in for yeah. all seven. And I mean, that team's not supposed to be good this year. So if that's any consolation with Ottawa, mm-hmm. but 
Right. I'm sure it's not for Matt Murray. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, you always want to win, especially as a goalie, but I'm sure something in his head is telling him we're not supposed to be good this year. But next year, I mean, they should be a good team soon enough, and I think Murray will be a big reason for it. He's a phenomenal goalie. He just has to really keep his head about him. Mm-hmm. I really like the pieces that Ottawa has, and I think get them getting Murray was a really good idea. Um, I actually have another question for you, and it's more of a wide-reaching one. Jim Rutherford, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It appears that Penn's Twitter and Penn's fans, by and large, are turning on him en masse. How do you think – How? what is your opinion on how Jim Rutherford is constructing this team? Is it still the Cros- – do you think it's still the Crosby and Malkin show? Do you think he has a plan? Um it's after acquiring Cody CC after letting go of Jack Johnson just seems to be a lateral move in quicksand. For yes. Example. Yeah. So that's the question that uh, me and my co-host Nick Berlansky have been getting a lot whenever it comes to, to guys from the network with us. It's, it seems like it's lateral in quicksand, as you said, which I like, that's a good reference, but at the same time, it is still an upgrade. Yeah. Cody CC is not any better really. But Cody Cece was noticeably awful in Toronto because he was playing first-line minutes with a great defenseman in Morgan Riley, whereas Jack Johnson was terrible with us, but we knew he wasn't – well, we, we didn't know entirely how bad he was, but we knew enough that his spot was on the third line most of the time until someone got hurt, and then we decided to put him up to the first with Crystal Tang, and his airs got magnified. But for the most part, we had him on the third line. We were sheltering his minutes – and that's really what has made CC at least semi-decent this year is that he's in the same spot. He's on the third line. We haven't had to push him up to the first yet. I mean, he's been on the second for injuries, but that's no big deal. He's still okay and doing better than Jack Johnson. Yeah, he's not a huge improvement, but he's an improvement. And I said this on my last episode was when Cody CC plays, the perfect game for him in this lineup is either he does great or you don't notice him. That's mm-hmm. And that's the way it should be for a third-line defenseman like him. Now, he has not been noticeable for the most part yet, so that's fairly good. He's had a few errors and was healthy scratched a couple times already, but so be it. If the fact that we're healthy scratching him also shows that um, we know what we have with him and we're going to treat him the right way, and that's not playing him sometimes. Now, but what do you think of – what do you think of how – Jim Rutherford oh, yeah. is constructing this team. Um, there's, there's a lot of discord. Yeah, it's for the moment, it definitely is still, like you said, the Crosby and Malkin show. Jim Rutherford seems to be getting some sort of plan for the future in signing a bunch of college guys this past offseason. And yeah, we keep trading away first round picks, which is not helpful, and trading away prospects like we did uh, to Toronto and getting Kasperi Kapanen back. I mean, but that being said, he knows we have a plan. He needs some sort of plan for the future. I've heard, you know, a couple of writers here in Pittsburgh say once Crosby and Malkin are out, so is Rutherford. It's not going to be his issue, apparently. Like they both have the same expiry date in Pittsburgh almost. Just or suggesting he's retiring? Like I he's think just going to so. walk? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, what more does Rutherford have to do, really? I mean, None of us can predict exactly what the future is, but I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's won multiple cups as a GM with multiple teams. He doesn't need to do anything more. Um, but 
I'd like to hope he's got some sort of plan for the future. And we have, it's not the strongest prospect core, but from what, you know, I, I've seen what we've seen. It's decent. It's decent enough to get somewhere in the future and to grow off of. And Malkin might go first, but who knows exactly what the future may hold. But for now it is still their team. It is still their show. And Malkin of especially just, they got to do better at some point this season, at least going forward. That's a perfect lead into my next question. How bad has Malkin truly been to start this season? I'm seeing a lot of he's slow, he's lost it, he's done. But the guy had the guy had almost like over a point per game last year. He can't be that done, can he? Or does he look that terrible? He he doesn't look great right now. Like we can say that. I know Jesse Marshall and I think someone else just did something big on the athletic that came out this morning that I haven't even had a chance to look at yet um, about Malkin's slow start. So there'll be more in there on that. So if you're in the athletic, give that a read, but oh, definitely. will. yeah. With that being said, I think he's just looked slow so far. It's um, we know he can do better. He's uh, he's real close to, I think he's like a point behind Yager now for the most points in Penguins history. So he's at least got his stature in the town but it's a matter of you got to do it this season. He used last year as a sort of bounce back year because the season before, yeah, the season before that wasn't good to his standards yet. It was still a pretty decent season. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that he has a drive to be better. We just haven't seen it yet this year. And who knows? I mean, maybe it's the fact that there wasn't a preseason. Maybe it's the weird off season he had, um, but I would expect him – he needs to turn it around, and I would kind of expect him to do it um, the next couple of days because it needs to happen now, or um, I'm sure he'll get a real talking to at some point. It's just brutal to watch. He's been slow. He hasn't looked that great. He's got two points, I think it is, one goal and an assist. I just remember the one goal, but – got two points in six games. Yeah, that's not what you want to see. Is Sully the one to give him that talk? It will have to be, I'm assuming. I mean, I don't know much about our assistant coaches yet. I mean, I know we've had Todd Reardon before, but um, I always draw the comparison to Rick Talkett. I said he was the guy that would really sit, you know, sit the players down and say, like, you have to play your game. In fact, there's a great story of uh, Malkin would bark, what barked back at Talkett once and Talk it sat him down and said, you play for me. I'm the coach. You're going to do as I have to say and what I say goes, basically. Malkin shut up, played his game. We went on to win a Stanley Cup. So, I mean, we picked up Mark Recchi as an assistant after that, and I always said Mark Recchi is the guy that doesn't have Talkett's backbone. So maybe Reardon's sort of the same situation. But for now, I mean, if someone can just sit Malkin down, and I'm assuming Sullivan's a guy that has to do it now if um, – Reardon or these other coaches just don't have that sort of, uh, you know, mentality. Uh, Mike Sullivan's not afraid to do that too. It's just, he hasn't had to yet. I think with Malkin specifically, um, but the time's coming. I'd give it a few more games before someone tells Malkin something and he turns it around. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, at least that Malkin turn, can turn it around and be a point per game player again. Yeah. I mean, the slow starts are going to happen. Uh, Boston just obviously was dealing with that, uh, it's just a matter of time. The skill set's there, obviously, for Malkin. So 
it's it's going to happen. Like he's he's too good. He's too smart. He's a veteran. He knows how to pull yeah. himself out of this. Sometimes you just you just need one lucky bounce and the weight gets off your shoulders. Yeah, I mean, and his one goal was an absolute bomb. So we know he still has his ability. I mean, another part to it is could be he had that he had a wrist surgery a couple of seasons ago that we only recently found out is going to be bothering him for the rest of his career, basically, or his elbow surgery, whatever it was, that it's going to linger for the rest of his career, that it requires a bigger surgery that could fix it completely, but would put him on the shelf for a season. So he said, and it's something that he's able to play with and push off until he retires. So that, I mean, maybe that's snagging him. That's something I haven't brought up yet, but um, that's very doubtful that it is because it's been bothering him for a couple of years and we saw how great he played last year. So for the time being, that's just something to keep in the back of your head. But I mean, yeah, you said it best. He's, we know he has the ability to turn it around. It's just a matter of seeing it now. So leading into this series here, we've got two games against uh, Pittsburgh coming up. What are you looking for from the Bruins in these two games? What's, what's the storyline you're following out of Boston right now? Um, is how good is the, has the Bruins defense been? I'd say, I mean, you're losing Chara who granted I have openly uh, admitted is, I don't think is that great anymore. And now that he's in Washington, I can really be open about it. Um, so much. <laughs> yeah. And then you also lost crew. Who I think was your best defenseman last season. And maybe the season before that, I think what I'm looking for is, is Charlie McAvoy, the real deal going forward by himself now. And who is this band of merry men, really, he's got behind him? I'd say um, the Bruins' defense, we know Tukaras could stop a puck. We know that. And we know your offense can score on all four lines. We've seen it. So I think for Boston, at least, what we're, what Penguins fans are looking forward to going in is what is this defense exactly? It's different now. It's not as structured. They have a, they lost their captain. And, you know, how what does Charlie McAvoy do by himself? So far, so good for McAvoy. We're, I don't really have much to complain about. Uh, we've talked about it on previous podcasts, but um, statistically, looking at it, he actually kind of carried Chara last year. And when I say kind of, statistically, yeah. it's it's glaring that he carried him. And, I uh, believe I called it an albatross around his neck. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. so. Yeah, I mean, the, the the defense is definitely a storyline that we're all following. There was a lot of uh, pushback because, uh, obviously, you let go of somebody who's been the captain for 14 years. There's going to be a part of the fan base that is yeah. a little bit butthurt about it. But uh, the the best way to do it is to win. The best way to do it is to look good, and so far, so good for the Bruins' defense, uh, short of one explosive period the other night, but it ended up not mattering because they wanted a shootout. And a game that honestly I didn't think they were going to win, so uh, we will take that. Uh, I mean, we're playing you guys so much this year. Uh, we we had a Flyers podcaster on with us last week, uh, and we just talked about the the renewal of rivalries and playing regional matchups and stuff like that. Um, what is what is a rivalry? I would I would assume you're going to say the Flyers. But outside of that, what is the rivalry that you're looking at, like really igniting, seeing as we're playing everybody eight times? Oh, and reigniting a rivalry. I mean, I was thinking it whenever we just played them, the New York Rangers. What back when the Rangers had Yager and we and they were a perennial playoff team every year they were in. 
the Penguins played them in 2008, and they, I mean, it may have only been five games, but it was a, it seemed like a grueling matchup. That's, I mean, the Penguins fans at the time still didn't like Yager. We were still booing him every time he touched the ice, and that was a really good team. And there was something about 2008 hockey where it was a very good mix of there's still all these big goons out there, but also all the finesse guys. So you had a little bit of everything on the ice. It was an and awesome I mean, transitional time it, and for yeah, hockey. That was a weird time. That was a yeah. Weird time. Looking back at it, it's like you, like you watch those games uh, on like replay, like Boston's uh, television station up here plays a lot of replay games. And in the style of hockey from that era, it was so exciting because like you said, there's, there's big dudes, there's big hits. And it was a little bit more of a violent game, but you started to have more of the finesse guys come in. Like that was when Crosby was really figuring out his shit and the new age of the speed and the movement and all that stuff. Like it was, it was weird how those two things blended together. And and the game is so much different just 11 years later. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, to put it simply, I mean, the shootout was entertaining back then. Now it's, I mean, I still find it entertaining, but it's definitely not carrying the same weight that it used to. No, I I think the gimmick of it is, it's it's worn itself out on me at this point. The thing yeah. that really pissed me pisses me off about the shootout is that, and it, it like speak, it's a different conversation for a different time, but I will touch on it. It almost seems like it's the, and I told, said this to Thomas before. It's the, it seems like the only time within the last twenty years that the NHL has actively tried to hook in casual fans, and then it's like, and, and now and now that that a lot of fans are like, okay, that's enough. They're like, they're like, you want more shootout? Yeah. It's like the the fact that they haven't tried to m- mitigate the shootout more, you know, why not a 10 minute four on four? Or why not like a 10 minute, like five minutes, four on four, five minutes, three on three, something like that. Like, I know people don't want ties because it has a, it has a weird, like ugh quality to them, but I used to, li- I, I'm with you guys. I used to like the shootout, but yeah. now I, I, I despise it. <laughs> the, it's, it's a lot of fun to see live and that's, that's not in question, but my, my biggest argument, and I've said it so many times in the last two weeks, it feels like it just, it's not, it's not the right way to, to decide or to show somebody who won an actual game. Mm-hmm. Like if the teams are even, the teams are even, you each share points. It is what it is. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a responsibility to your live guests and, and also to your, the, the broadcast uh, viewers. But at this point, it's, it's just not, it's not my favorite anymore. And obviously other than this year where we're so far, the Bruins are two and zero in the shootout, as we said before, uh, typically we're terrible in the shootout and maybe that's influencing why I can't fucking stand the shootout, but it is what it is. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. I mean, I think I look at it as, yeah, it was definitely fun when it started because it was these new fast guys coming out and having a little time to display their, display their dominance almost but now it's kind of run its course but now that we still have it i still nitpick every little part of it because it's still a portion of the game that um i want the penguins to do well and i mean i'm still thrown off every time they put crystal tang out there and i get (laughs) that he has the most shootout goals by a defenseman well that's because we put him out there every time over the last 15 years that's gonna happen (laughs) yeah so it's going to happen. I mean, especially now, I mean, the Penguins have guys like, if we're talking about the shootout, we have guys like Jake Ensel who 
has a very good percentage in it so far. Brian Rust, who can take great shots. We still have Crosby and Malkin. The way I see it is, yeah, Latang has his move on the shootout, and yeah, it worked the other night, but I still would like to see more. If we're going to be, if we're still using the shootout, I want to see something better from it. I want to see us utilize it and pick up wins from it. Yeah. But, you know, one thing I, I was just thinking of is like just the, the moves that they do in the shootout are so incredibly boring compared to all the trick shot shit that you see on Instagram yeah. and all that stuff. Like, uh, Hey Barber and all those the dudes who just do like the most ridiculous flamboyant, insane shit. And then Crosby comes in and he just goes forehand, backhand. And it's just like, yeah. Uh, it's not even that. He doesn't do that half the time anymore. Yeah. I mean, Crosby's a guy that'll just skate up and just try and beat you with his shot and yeah. hope he got it off fast enough. Half the time, it doesn't even work. You can do what DeBrus did last week with that cheeky little flip over the shoulder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was fun. All right, Nick. Thank you so much, man. It was awesome having you. Thank you for the insight. And uh, we look forward to playing you guys tonight, uh, Tuesday night, as we're recording this. And we're playing again Thursday. It was fun being on. Thank you for having me. And, uh, man, hopefully McVoy's not all he's cracked up to be. Am I right? Yeah, we'll see. No, you're not. <laughs> Nick, thanks so much, man. Thank you again. Thanks, Nick. Be good, bud. Thank you. All right. That was Nick Horwat from Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. You can follow him at Iceberg Podcast. Uh, good insight. I mean, we pretty much got what we thought we were getting out of him when it came to talking about their goaltending predictions for the next two games. I mean, it's it starts with the goaltending there. It's suspect. Uh, the defense hasn't really been able to pick him up much. So I'm I'm thinking it's very possible that a very hot Boston team, still at home, still comfortable, practicing well, and honestly. I think they feel like they might have already turned the corner from that slow start. I think it's very possible the Bruins take both of these games. How are you feeling about it? Um, I think I think they win at least one. I don't think Jari is going to play both games, and DeSmith is going to get in one, and DeSmith has been a lot better than Jari has here in the early going. That's true. So I say they take one and lose in overtime – in another. So three out of four points. That's my prediction for this series. I mean, I'll, I'll honestly take that. Sure. So. So I say three out of four points and they lose in overtime on the back end. All right. Well, I hope you're wrong. Me too. <laughs> all right. Uh, and then we've got Capitals coming up. We might need to do a towards the end of the week podcast here. Maybe just a quick hit. We've only got one off day before you start the series against the Capitals, but this is going to be the first time they play Chara after that. I will be absolutely open to that, but you got to promise me something. Let's not spend the whole podcast talking about Chara. That's totally Before, fine. Even though that's that's going to be that's going to be tempting, I think. But yeah. Well, I mean, our intro is like a full minute, so it won't be the whole podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> very good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening, and go Bruins. Go go black and gold. What the fuck am I talking about? What are you doing? I need to start <laughs> drinking. I'm not used to doing this without a fucking beer. <laughs>